0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. How are we all feeling tonight? <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Romanek, Carrie Mulligan, and this evening's guest moderator, Elvis Mitchell. everyone well as a man who's made on commercials that made people buy all the stuff in this store (laughs) what's it like to be in here?
0: oh I'm an Apple freak so I'm in here all the time
1: (laughs) let me ask you Carrie. what was your first meeting with him like cuz I'm sure you found out he can be a very exacting kind of person so what was the first conversation like
2: we were in New York we were here Um, we didn't talk a huge amount I don't think I wanted to do the voiceover for the audition and we did another scene. We had an actress in reading Ruth's character, and um, it was kind of short and sweet. Really, we didn't. I, I so you were quite quiet. Well, I you, thought he was yeah, sort of a you, deep, dark American. You didn't know that you had the part before we got on the plane. No, we so were, I was nervous, and I don't remember anything when I. No, nervous. Well, we
0: were so blown away by an education, and we went. That's oh my god, that's we found Kathy. We were just praying that she would agree to do it. So when I walked in the room, the audition was. Really, not strictly necessary. It was like a technicality, and it, it wasn't really an audition. It's like she read the voiceover, which was her idea, which no other actor suggested. And two, again, two sentences into it, we, you know, we got chills, and it was it.
1: Well, it's such an interesting decision. What made you decide to pick the voiceover to do rather than one of the other th- scenes?
2: It's like a self-indulgent actress thing, <laughs> where you sort of wallow in how beautiful it is and that you get to say those words. And um, I just, I loved it. I read it so many times, and it was my kind of hook and, in, into the script and into the character. And it was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to play the part. So, had you read the book beforehand? Or? Yeah, I read the book in two thousand and five when it came out. Um, I hadn't I actually this summer. I read. Uh, most of Ishiguro's other books, but I hadn't read them up until then, and Never Let Me Go is the only one I'd read, and I always wanted to play Kathy, and always knew that they'd make a film.
1: Oh, did you? Because when I read the book, I just kind of wondered, because it's so interior, so much about feeling and melancholy, I kind of wondered where the movie was in it. You must have thought that a little bit, too, before you saw the script.
0: Well, I mean, I just, I read the book and just had a, you know, really emotional reaction to it. I got very engrossed in it. I, I really fell in love with the characters, and there were many scenes in it that I did think were extremely cinematic. There were these iconic moments that I felt if you could string those together that, that certainly at the very least those scenes would be very powerful and then, and then I read uh, alex garland 's script. He adapted the script really beautifully, and I saw that he perhaps because he 's a novelist too, he was able to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct the book in a screenplay form and he made it work and I, and I had the same emotional reaction to the script that I had to the book. In, which was a real clue to me that this could work, if as long as I didn't fuck it up, <laughs> it, it could it could work. It was working on the page. Because
1: I wonder for you, because had you seen One Hour Photo before you met with Mark? Yeah. And what because it's again another kind of deeply interior sort of one basically built on one character's melancholy, and that must have been. Interesting to, to meet with that guy who had done only that one movie.
2: Yeah, no, I loved one hour photo, and um, um, uh, I wasn't aware even of Mark's other, you know, music videos and everything else that he'd done. So, I, uh, so that was the one thing that I knew about him, and that was exciting enough without anything else. Um, but Kathy, I never felt was sort of—I probably played it wrong, <laughs> but I, I never, <laughs> I never thought of her really as melancholy, and I never thought of her as sort of. I think what we were playing, and we'll probably get onto this in a bit, really wasn't, um, we weren't playing the tragedy of our circumstances, we were just playing our circumstances and allowing the audience to feel whatever they wanted to.
1: But, I mean, for me, the the, the key thing in both the movie and the book now is the scene with you listening to the music where that really is, I hate these were melancholic again, so I'll just say tragic. <laughs> and just the way she really wraps herself in that music like a blanket. And you must have felt, just seeing that on the page that there was a way to play it
2: yeah actually that scene is, that happens twice in the film when you see the film there's, the, the film starts when we're 12 so we have young actors playing us as children um and and she listens to this music she's given a music tape and she listens to it and and this song becomes very important to her and it's never let me go which is the title of our film in case you hadn't noticed um (laughs) anyway so she listens to the song and then later on in the film kathy then revisits the song and it's sort of a a mantra to her really or, or something that she you know always reverts to for security and And that was one of the things we did with the little kids. Izzy, who played the young me, we sort of went into a room one day in the middle of the shoot and figured out how we were both going to do it and what it meant to both of us. And, and, you know, so listened to iPods and swayed around the room and, uh, (laughs) um, you know, did actory stuff.
1: Well, you talked, because I I just talked to you a couple weeks ago about the movie, and you talked about that Japanese concept of wabi sabi, which you brought to, to the look and the ambience of the film. Tell the audience a little bit about that.
0: Well, um, one of the main things the film's about is how precious time is and how little time we all have and how the, the sad, inescapable fact is that we're all going to live for a certain amount of time and, and then we have to go and that's it. And so there just seemed to be something about making a film that has this quality of science fiction where there wouldn't be anything... New and clean and futuristic in it, but it, it, exactly the opposite that uh, there would be this effect of time on everything. And um, there's a, there's, I, I feel like there's a hint of, of a Japanese sensibility in the way Kazuo writes. He was born in Japan. And so he mentioned in an interview once that he was more influenced by Japanese cinema of the 50s and 60s than he was by other writers. And that was like a clue, a key for me. I said, well, let me immerse myself in that stuff and maybe that'll be a clue to creating a kind of visual language for the movie. And I I came across this concept of wabi-sabi, which is, this is a very long answer, but uh, this idea that things that are broken and cracked and rusted and frayed and worn are are more evocative and more beautiful than things that are new and clean which is a very ironic thing to be saying in the apple store <laughs> things that are new and clean could be very beautiful too but if you look we
1: look at your your film work and your video work that that concept almost plays throughout your entire career in one way or another
0: which concept sabe well you know, each, each video is a diff, was a different assignment, and some of them it was fun to explore that sort of thing, and some of them it actually were kind of clean, and it, it, they varied quite a lot. But I mean, I like texture, I like films, you know, I think of a film, I always think of this film, uh, a, a lot of Bergman's films, but I think of, think of like Knife in the Water, the Polanski film, and you can just, you can smell the, the pipe smoke and the the, the thicker weave of a, of a sweater, and... Uh, the, 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 you know you, you can just there's texture in the movie and so uh, try to get that in, in this film
1: One of the things I love about watching you carry is how your physical posture like right now you're freezing so you're all <laughs> wrapped up but how your physical posture differs from film to film and I wonder how you chose to physicalize this,
2: this character I don't know I don't ever sort of walk around and try and find my walk or anything um, I think Kathy's quite a kind of practical person, she's quite a sensible person um, and and she's sort of a workhorse so it probably reflected that but I, did, I don't think I ever sort of consciously think about it, I think you know, people who sort of driven and or people who are passive just have different ways of moving and different, I don't know I don't really, I don't know, practice it
0: I mean, I, I noticed something from the outside that really w- struck me, which is there's a stillness in this performance. And uh, I remember there was one day when you were doing something very still, and I, was, I found it odd, and I went to this really cliche thing and made a suggestion about, when, well, maybe you should do this, and you, you kind of went, mm, no. And, and, and I looked at it, and I, when, then when I looked at, it, at the scene again, it was just such a brilliant choice and, and there was, she so often did so little and radiated so much that it ended up affecting how I shot the film. I, I, did, I started doing less and I started uh, you know th- there was a goal to tell the story simply because Kazuo writes these very deceptively simple sentences um, and so I tried to shoot the film simply but I was inspired by what I saw Carrie doing to go even deeper in that direction.
1: So you do make an instinctive choice, and you stick with it.
2: Yeah, instinctive, though. I mean, it's not sort of... Um, I guess her stillness, I always had this idea that she you know, she's, she has these three friends, and she grows up with them, and they're her only family, the only people she knows, and she has no desire to rock the boat. She's not passive, she's unhappy, but she'd rather be discontent and with them than completely on her own. So her stillness was not... Uh, I don't know. I was always sort of the more the feeling that she didn't want to shake the air around her, so she was sort of always, you know, and she doesn't talk really actually, ever. <laughs>
1: but there's a there's a real as compared to an education or Pride and Prejudice or the other period pieces you've done. There's a real watchful quality to her. I mean, she's sort of taking in everything around her uh, rather than trying to make an impression, which is. What you're talking
2: about? Yeah, and that's what drew me to the to the character more than anything because I I had played Jenny in an education and been you know go getter and he had a very distinctive personality and and you know I've done plays where I've been crazy and um and and I've always been able to sort of say lots of dialogue and and my characters have always been able to express themselves and Kathy you know, doesn't really. Um, and she defers to everybody else's emotions and she holds back and she allows everyone else to speak first and um, and puts other people first. And, and so that was what the challenge was for me was just to see if I could try and make that engaging and not just, like, dull.
1: But for you, Mark, that's one of the things between One Hour Photo and this. You've chosen protagonists who don't talk a whole lot.
0: Well, I mean, you know, on the page... A st- you know, ostensibly maybe it seems passive in the, in the literal sense that she doesn't always drive the action or she's reacting to things. But the way, the way that Carrie made it not passive is that outward action doesn't necessar- isn't the only form of action. There's, an, there's interactions that are just as active. And she, the stillness radiated a stoicism and a strength and that ultimately becomes a form of grace at the end of the film. And she's also noticing things, and I tried to shoot it very strictly from her point of view, not only in the general sense, but she's the only one that gets point of view shots. So we're seeing the world through her eyes, maybe similarly to how you know, Sai did in One Hour Photo. But when you, you see what she sees and you see her face, you, you, you get inside a, per, a person that way. Um, and I'm rambling now, so.
1: No, but we are you, talking, comparing Sai to, to, to this character, this is somebody who's made a decision very early on about the way she wants to lead her life. I mean, incredible, like really emotionally mature as compared to everybody else in the movie. You're basically, even though you're all really young, you've decided to be an adult very early on, and that's a very interesting way to play it because that's not really in the book at all.
2: I always felt reading the, my interpretation... I mean, we've spent a lot of time with Kazuya Shigura who wrote the novel over the last couple of days, and so usually when we're in Q&As, I, I speak f- for Kathy, and then I remember that, his, you know, Kathy's creator <laughs> is sitting there, and I feel like an idiot. Um, but I always felt like that was there. I, I felt... Um, what were you talking about like, oh, she's just
1: that she 's decided to be a grown up very early on yeah,
2: but the, you know these, the expectations that come in the film you know the children grow up believing certain things about the outside world, and, and i don 't think she does um, i don 't think she expects you know we have all these terms in the film deferrals and things like that i, I don 't think she ever believes in them. Um, I think she 's accepted her fate um, from the beginning, uh, and that 's sort of given her the ability to get up and carry on every day and given her um and kind of freed her from it in a way she doesn't have to live with the expectation of things turning out okay she can sort of just you know she's accepted her mortality in a way the other ones can't and so that gives her the freedom to just keep keep calm and carry on
1: yeah because the other i i want to talk to you about the way you cast the other actors because there's a kind of a, a yearning a really almost a neediness in all the other characters except for Kathy.
0: I mean, I think they all, the film is about our relationship to this fact of our mortality. I think each of those three characters have a different relationship to that fact. I think Tommy is going to try to scheme away around it, so he's sort of in his head about it. Um, Kira's character, Ruth, I think she's very f- afraid of it and afraid of dying alone, and that drives a lot of her action. Whereas at an early point, it seems as if Kathy has arrived at a place of acceptance. Which is, very, which is one of the most moving things. I got chills just saying that. I mean, it's one of the most moving things about the book to me. And I hope, I hope we wait, were able to transfer that onto the film. No, it's film. just
1: cold in here. It wasn't your talking. <laughs> but that. Um, the way you play it is almost like an archetypal version of a Japanese concept. You know, just this arrival at this point. It's almost like zen in a way. And I was really fascinated by it. Because I wonder if that comes to you from doing stage work where you have to figure out where you are physically. Because having watched your work to get ready for this, you seem to make physical decisions about uh, about a part.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I don't know. I. I... Um, I don't like to look the same from job to job or, um, or, you know, play characters that are too similar. I mean, if you are under the age of 25 and you're female and British, then you're kind of limited. You, um, so so, so, so you've done a
1: Jane Austen at one point? Then, I've right? done
2: a lot of corsets. Um, so that was a relief. There were no corsets in this, but I mean, and all of that affects your physicality. Um, but I always felt that those costume dramas, regardless of period, were always different women. There was just the backdrop was a different time, and that could affect certain things. But they were all still different characters. Um, but uh, Kathy was my uh, my favourite character of everyone because of because of the sort of well, the fear of living up to the expectation of the book, and the fear of living up to the expectation of pe- how people imagine Kathy. And we can't possibly please everybody because everyone has their own imaginations. And, um, but because of all of the qualities that she has that are so polar to me and to everybody I'd played, I suppose there had to be sort of, I had to be uh, kind of make some decisions at the beginning and stick to them. Otherwise, I, you know, I think my fear would have driven me all over the place and it could have, you know, been a lot worse.
1: The one thing that happens faster here than in the book is you get a sense of, this. Despite those sort of fears of being torn apart, and those sexual tensions that exist, of them being a real family, and you being like the the element that holds them together, and I wondered if how soon you were aware of that, Mark, watching the actors' work that that dynamic happened.
0: Well, I mean, one of the things we talked about in rehearsal is is that you know the specific circumstances of these characters are, are that they're raised in an institutional setting, uh, uh, you know, somewhat idyllic but strange institutional setting, and they're parentless and the Guardians uh, aren't, aren't uh, prone to ma- making any sort of physical contact with them. So even though the, the whole, what science fiction element there is to the film is really just a metaphor. It's not a science fiction film. It's a love story. Um, and I didn't, we didn't want the behavior of the characters to be alien or strange. We wanted it to be familiar. But there still ha- had to be something about the fact that they have this particular circumstance growing up. And so they've just clung to each other so fiercely. They have little objects that they become attached to, like the cassette tape, and Carrie's character has like a little turtle. But it's the three of them have become their family and become their whole world. Uh, and that's, uh, it's part, that's the nature of, of the story that Kazuo invented, too, I think.
1: It's been a while since you made a movie. What were you thinking about in terms of what you want to do with the frame with this? Because it's been, what, eight years since One Hour Photo? W-
0: what was I thinking? I didn't in terms you. of
1: framing the movie the way you were shooting, because it had been a while since you made your, your, your second film, what, were you thinking about things you want to do with this? Because you had uh, a lot of time to think about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I tried to make several movies. I was making a cop movie with Tom Hanks, and I was going to do an adaptation of A Million Little Pieces, and I got involved in the Wolfman film with Benicio Del Toro and uh, just for various reasons those things didn't work out so I was busy trying to make a movie it wasn't like I'm so selective that you know I only make a film once every eight years but I mean you know each one is a a new assignment and you start from scratch and you look at the the you know thematic-ish problems and the aesthetic problems that you have to solve and you you get a group of people together and they and you you know this is a very collaborative experience I wasn't brought onto this to be like the auteur of the piece I was brought on to take part in a collaboration with Alex Garland, the screenwriter, and the two producers, and then the actors, and all the crew. And, you know, this was a delicate, odd, original story. It's a a brilliant book, and it's really not like anything else. So it took all of us every day talking it through, coming to find the, the, the solution to the various problems. But in terms of framing it, some of those ideas I talked about before about that the book seemed to me like a hybrid, the tone of it seemed to be a hybrid of a Japanese sensibility and a British sensibility. And because I knew that everything I was going to be pointing at the camera at would be English, it might be interesting for the framing of the film to have this quality of, of, uh, of Japanese-ness. Uh, and I did a lot of research in Japanese cinema and other concepts in Japanese uh, art and aesthetics and tried to apply them gingerly to give it an original look, hopefully. And not just for its own sake, hopefully that... that framing and that tone is enhancing the emotion and the story. Because it is such an original world compared to the other things you did, how did you prepare for it?
2: Uh, I just, uh, I really took everything from the book. Um, we had two weeks of rehearsal, which is really rare for film. Um, we sat around, we talked, uh, endlessly about you know in terms of preparation in terms of their physicality it always had to feel like they all came from the same place that was really important and kira and i knew each other really well we didn't know andrew at all so we had to get to know him fast um but really everything i mean how many people have read the book has anyone read the book yeah oh cool um, good, because when we were talking earlier, I was like, they, this is this all bollocks, because half the people don't understand what we're talking about. But anyway, I apologize for that, and that's really cool. It's the Apple
1: Store. Okay, they, they, um, they get it, they get
2: it. Okay, um, really, everything I took from the book, my character, Kathy H., narrates the novel. Everything's told from her perspective. She's a pretty unreliable narrator. She's, she's dishonest with herself, most of the time, and therefore dishonest with the audience. So you kind of have to read between the lines, but she's, she's kind of transparent. Um, and, and what Kazuo Ishiguro does so brilliantly, which is um, what always breaks my heart, and the same remains of the day and when we were orphans, and it, it is um, he he doesn't write with sentiment. He writes these really diminutive little passages that um, to talk about feelings, and that's as far as he goes. And in that, it's sort of tragic. And, and so that's where I took my cue from Kathy, really, was that... Um, uh, how you know belittling every feeling you have and and um, and just sort of going on and um, it was sort of the closing chapter of the book that that made me understand who she was and um, uh, everything really comes together in the end and and uh, yeah so it was everything every time I did a scene and I needed to know where I was I would go back to the book and just study it.
1: But you seem to intuit a lot because again what I'm what I see in that performance, I think as Mark' was talking about that stillness, we don't really get that sense of her because her mind is constantly asking questions about what's going on, and she's revealing that and then contradicting herself in the, in the next uh, chapter. You made a decision to just sort of keep a lot of that to yourself, which I was really fascinated by.
2: Well, I always felt like she was just an observer you know she was an observer. She watches people and, um, and she allows them. Uh, there was a part in the first when she's talking about Helsham, and she was talking she was like 12 years old and she says that she plays this game with herself where she'll stand at a window and look out the window at the grounds of the school that she's at and imagine that she, there's, there's only her and like four other people, uh, you know. And so she's the sort of person who invents these things and so I imagine that, you know, there's always stuff going on in her mind. She didn't have to fill the, fill the air with her, her own words. She, she doesn't need to be heard. The only thing that Kathy ever really wants her whole life is to, to know that Tommy loves her. And, and everything else is um, is not important and therefore not mentioning.
1: What did you see in at Education that made you think that she was the perfect person for this?
0: No one's ever asked me that before. Um, I think it wasn't any, there wasn't anything about the character or Carrie's performance in that film that made me think she was perfect to play Kathy other than this general astonishment at how good she was and that you had the sense that if she wanted to play anything she could be great she you know she could have played the you know one of the automobiles in the film it probably would have been great so it was just a general holy crap like this girl is astonishing so you know and, and, and the, you know, I felt that she could resemble Kathy and that she was the right age and type and she was English and she, you know, it was a general astonishment, I think. You know, the, which was, and the rest of the world, then, was kind of astonished equally. Well, some
1: of us have been following you for a little while. but The thing I sort of, besides the physicality, you get a real sense of the specific emotional intelligence of each character you play. I mean, the way there are varying degrees of maturity and... and That, to me, made me think that you could do that. And you just bring something to this that I I keep saying that, but I didn't see
0: in the book at all.
2: Thanks. You know, Kazuo
0: says the same thing. Kazuo is extremely uh, flattering about how he felt that the performances in this film are so dimensional and so detailed that he learned things about the characters that he himself didn't understand and didn't know, even as the creator.
1: Well, there must be questions out there just so you can, guys can shake off the frostbite. So if you've got... Do we have a microphone to get to people? Or? We'll have
0: microphones. Just raise your hand. We'll come to you if you have a question. Right here oh, in the front row. Okay. Uh, you mainly
2: focus on the point out. You mainly focus on the point out love story and the human condition and sort of like avoiding ex, uh, explanation on the scientific elements such as, you know, donating organ or the cloning uh, element. Um... So what, what was the challenge on um, sort of like, uh, not to slow in the audience away to sort of like uh, main, mainly focus on uh, actually a uh, love story?
0: Well, I mean, if you ask Kazuo about this, the author, he'll, he'll tell you that, the, this, that he only originally wanted to write a book about young people whose lives were going to be truncated for some reason. And the reason he wanted to do that is he felt that He wanted to write a novel about this big idea that we are all going to die and when we can't push that knowledge to the back of our minds anymore, what becomes important in our lives uh, and how how do we decide that we're going to spend our limited time and that the science fiction conceit of the film was something that came very, very late, and it could have been cloning, and it could have been, at one point, he considered that they were exposed to radiation. He just wanted to take a human lifespan, and as he puts it, concertina it into 25 or 30 years, because he, he thought all of those very human themes about mortality would become more pressing and more dramatic. Um, So we were never setting out to make a science fiction film. That that science fiction idea was always like a delivery system for these bigger notions. And that my emotional connection to the book, and I think most people's emotional connection to the book, is the love story. It's the most relatable thing. And uh, perhaps the most engaging and engrossing aspect of it for a film. So we we all collectively made the decision that, that we were making a love story. Uh, I think I, I think you know I had an audition for the job, too. And I think one of the first words out of my mouth was, "This is a love story. It's not a science fiction film." And I think that would, may, it was a huge step in them th- saying, "Okay, maybe this guy you know could could have this job." Uh, we were all we were making a love story, and and Caso in the book does not um, disc- he doesn't detail all of the the technical details of how the cloning program works and, you know, there's not a lot about the ethics of biotechnology or any of that stuff. It's, it's not really that important to him. And he doesn't really, and that's why he doesn't care that, that people go into the film and they know the, the, the little secret of the film that gets revealed in the first act, which is these are in fact clones. He wants that out of the way so you can engage with the film with your heart, not so much with your head. But his books are often about
1: that kind of collateral damage, these sort of people who live on the outsides of uh, bigger societies, remains of the day or this, and just have to sort of make their own way. I mean, we really get to
0: learn a little bit about these people,
1: about these worlds and the way these people deal with it, right? Uh, you know,
0: Kazuo talks a lot also about it, that, that we all live in our little bubble and we only have a limited perspective, really, on, on everything. And, and that a lot of his books are about when that perspective is sort of jarringly widened for someone and they see the truth of their situation and have to confront all their regrets and, and lost time. and It's a very poignant uh, themes that he's working on in all of his books. Right here in row two.
1: Hey, uh, Elvis, congratulations on uh, At The Movies. It's good to have a real critic back on that show. Thank you. and. Uh, Mark, when you, when you read the book, were there any images that stuck with you that you were determined to get in the movie? And as a parent now, did you make any choices
0: based on that that you wouldn't have earlier? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there were, there, there were like about a dozen really iconic images that, you know, uh, for those of you that read the book, I mean, what, the key image is really young Kathy holding on to this pillow um, listening to this old cassette tape of the song, Never Let Me Go. There's just a um, I'm trying to think of some. I mean, the, 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 there's a scene with a derelict boat on a beautiful uh, beach. A boat's been abandoned. Um, I just, even things that aren't so imagistic, but, you know, the scene when Tommy and uh, Kathy uh, go to ask um, their old guardians for uh, a deferral so they could have more time together. That whole scene was very clear in my mind. You know, people say it's a hard book to adapt and it's very uh, it's very internal and everything but i mean if you look read the book it's filled with super cinematic set pieces and images uh, the thing about being a parent i mean it just changes you i think you you're you're the spectrum of of emotions that you didn't know you could feel you know get get massively widened and uh, by having children and uh you sort of soften up a bit and and you're more in touch with your emotions and um and i'm sure that Affected how I did this film in some fashion, but uh, I'm a certainly a different person pre parenthood and post parenthood.
1: Were there scenes for you, Carrie, that equally affected you from the book that you carried with you?
2: Yeah, and there were lines that used to stick in my head. Um. There, there's a one that I always wanted us to. I don't remember. I always used to ask you. We didn't have any time. The, um, it's a shame, Kath. You know, after there's a bit in the book that we couldn't. There was no place for it in the film because once there's once they have been to Madame at the end and they've discovered about the deferrals. After that, we changed the novel very slightly in that Kathy uh, Tommy then asked Kathy to not be his carer anymore, uh, and in the in the film that's that's different. And in that scene, he says. Um, I feel like we're these two people standing in a river somewhere and the river's raging around us and we're trying desperately to hold on to each other, but we can't. Um, It's a shame, Kath, because we've loved each other all our lives, but in the end we can't be together. (laughs) And it always used to just run through my mind and really kind of break my heart every time I thought about it and always brought me back to the book. And um, there's another line in the scene... When they go, when they're talking about, you know, having a soul, and and uh, Charlotte Rampling's character says, you know, we we want we needed to see if you had souls at all. And Kathy says, uh, why would anyone think we wouldn't have a soul? And the sort of innocence of that question always used to haunt me. So it was more stuff um, that surrounded the scenes that we did have that would always stay in my head.
0: I love that image, too, of them holding on to each other in like a raging river or something, a stream. But I mean, I, I feel like we kind of got a we version got of in that the thing, in, in yeah, the road. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me think that, but
1: that feels like basically the subtext of your performance. Right yeah. over here, your extreme left.
2: Hi, it's Carrie Now that you've done a few movies based on books, do you find that you really enjoy having all of the characters' thoughts like right there in your hand, or do you think it takes some of the work out or makes it harder if you make your own decisions? No, no, I love it, I love it. Um it's more pressure when it's a modern novel because Jane Austen can't bollock me. <laughs> but it's uh, So with Casio, when I met him, I was terrified because I, I thought if I'm not everything or anything that you imagine when you wrote Cathy, then you know, how awful for you and I could get fired, how awful for me. Um, but I loved it, I, I, especially with this, having a book to go back to and, um, and especially one that has all that detail and, and was written so beautifully. I, I loved rereading it. Um, it's it's a different challenge when you don't have anything. Uh, But it doesn't mean you're more inventive uh, or less inventive.
0: Way in the back, right here. Uh, Hi, this is basically kind of a creative question. There was a recent article by A.O. Scott in The Times about how TV might be surpassing film as a storytelling medium thanks to shows like The Wire, The Sopranos, Deadwood, Mad Men. I was just wondering how you feel about uh, the fact that maybe TV is possibly changing the way that people view movies, movies versus TV? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a place for both, you know, the scale of both of those things. You know, there's a long tradition of, 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 of a story that can be beautifully told in two, two and a half hours, and then... You know I remember I remember reading an interview with Stanley Kubrick where he was really excited about the notion of doing television simply because he didn't have to try to cram everything in and, and and nothing could had to be left you know had to be left out. You can have everything and let it play out and and be rich and that's what some of these very very good shows uh, are doing. Um it does seem like with HBO though that the level of, of, of seriousness and sophistication to the not only the acting and the storytelling but the filmmaking is now like you're watching a thirty hour film and it is it does seem like a new thing and it's it's exciting. I don't but I still you know, I think I don't think one's better than another.
1: Well you've you've done a lot of television. I mean do you in terms of preparation time, you don't get that in television. You wouldn't get a two week rehearsal period.
2: Yeah, uh, something. I mean, it depends. It, it, with television, you know, I always played supporting characters, but I liked, you know, I, I did a TV series called Bleak House, which was a Dickens thing that was six months shooting, and, you know, you get to the point where you feel really, really comfortable in your character, and so sometimes that can be more fun, Um uh, and and it's nice to I wouldn't want to do something you know continuously, but it's nice to sort of play a character to the point where you are just intuitive all the time. Um, but I, I I love doing TV. I don't really see the a difference. Well, before we they
1: send out for a coffee and blankets up here, let's let's thank Carrie and Mark for being here, and thank you guys too. Thank you guys very much for that. One more time for Mark Romanek and Carrie Mulligan, guys. And don't forget, Meet the Filmmaker for free in iTunes. This and many more events are available today. You'll find this one a little bit later. Right on there in the iTunes store, Meet the Filmmaker for free. Go ahead and search for it. And, of course, apple.com forward slash Soho. All your upcoming event needs. September's a big one, guys. we got a lot of great things going on here, so keep your eyes on the website. You never know what's going to pop up tomorrow. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful
0: evening, and get home safe.